You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Today, with special guest host, Tamara Cherry. Hello, everybody. I am Tamara Cherry, broadcasting from Regina, Saskatchewan. I always like to give a shout out to Regina, Saskatchewan, because when do you ever hear anybody from here? Not that often. So I'm I'm proud to wave the Sasky flag. Of course, uh, many of the listeners in Toronto know me uh, because I was a journalist in Toronto for a number of years, moved back here to Saski a couple of years ago or about a year and a half ago. We have a lot of great stuff in store for you today. I'm really pumped about this show. And I promise for anybody listening yesterday, and in particular to our technical producer, Chris, that I will be better. I will not let guests speak all the way up to the zero second mark to the point that I need to cut them off. I will be better today. But first, Joe Rogan is back in the news. Oh, joy. The producer of the show, Sam, and I debated this morning whether we should even include this in the show. Are we just giving another platform to this guy's ignorant and arguably dangerous views? What question would we even ask listeners in a call-in segment? What sorts of views would we be inviting people to share? Now, some of you are no doubt wondering what the heck I'm talking about. So let's break this down with some audio from a recent episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Canada is communist. Canada's crazy. They're f***ed. They're f***ed. They got to get rid of that guy. By that guy, of course, Joe Rogan is referring to Justin Trudeau, our communist prime minister, to which his guest says, I feel like he's been prime minister for a while. And to which Rogan says, I don't know. I don't know how their system works up there. I have zero understanding of their system. Yeah. I never looked into it at all. <laughs> never looked into it at all. Doesn't know how our parliamentary system works. Our parliamentary system that is not tested every four years, but with every vote in the House of Commons, our parliamentary system that could see Trudeau's government fall at any time, that could see Trudeau out of a job at any time. I liked him. I liked him before the pandemic. Trudeau? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, he's a handsome guy. Yeah. Seems sweet. Yeah. You know, it's like, good, good looking guy, confident, good talker. Good looking guy, seems sweet. That's reason enough to like a world leader. But, oh, did Rogan's opinions change? And then during the pandemic, I'm like, oh, you're a f-ing dictator. Yeah. Oh, you don't like criticism. You're trying to shut down criticism by saying that all your critics are misogynists and racists. Yeah. You hear he said that about the trucking people, the truckers? He called them. Called them all misogynists and racists. So let's break down this last clip for a little bit. First, the dictator comment. You want to know what a dictator is, Joe Rogan? Nazi Germany under Hitler, that was a dictatorship. The Soviet Union under Stalin, that was a dictatorship. We could look to some current examples, Russia, China, Venezuela. But even with these examples, where leaders toss political opponents in jail or make them disappear altogether, some experts argue that even they don't reach the threshold of dictatorship. If Joe Rogan thinks Justin Trudeau is a dictator... He is not only being incredibly offensive to people who actually suffer under dictatorships, 
he's being an idiot. But oh yeah, let's remember what he said. I don't know. I don't know how their system works up there. I've zero understanding of their system. Yeah. I never right, right, looked right. into it at all. <laughs> right, 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 right. Now, even without looking at the text board, I know there are people sending me messages right now saying Trudeau is a dictator. Communi- Canada is a communist country. I don't even think we were talking about Trudeau yesterday um, or our uh, governing regime, but I was still getting those texts yesterday. These are the same people who will be crying that we don't live in a free country. All while the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, all while people are held in work camps in China or killed for speaking out against their oppressive regime. Right, right, right. Now, here's the irony. The people who call our country a dictatorship or call our form of government communism are not only wrong, but they are weakening our very real democracy. Do you think in a dictatorship that you can stand in the House of Commons and call out the leader? Do you think in a dictatorship that you can hold a sign saying F Trudeau or a sign showing a noose around the leader's neck? Anyone who suggests that we are living in a dictatorship under communism, that we are not free. And I'm not just talking about Joe Rogan or the minority of listeners that text those views into this show. I'm talking about some elected politicians in this country who care more about votes than upholding democracy. So anyone who suggests that this is our reality is suggesting that government as we know it is the problem and our way of governance is the problem. They are delegitimizing our democracy. They are calling for revolutionary change. Know who else has endorsed this sort of revolutionary change in government? Totalitarian communists. Words matter. Words that insult our democracy can weaken our democracy. And for the record, the fact that I have chosen not to take calls on this does not make me a dictator. If I tracked each of the people down, who would make such a comment and made them disappear. Perhaps that would, but that is another matter altogether. I don't know. I don't know how their system works up there. I've zero understanding of their system. Yeah. I never looked into it at all. (laughs) Okay. So what else? What else? The The United Kingdom is breaking records with their scorching temperatures. In case you have not heard, it is crazy hot over there. I know there's probably some people in Toronto who are saying, you don't know what hot is. I think I saw uh, one of my old pals from the field there tweeting out this morning that it was going to be into the 40s with the Humidex. So I feel for everyone there. Hope everyone is staying uh, nice and cool. We will speak with someone who is in London, UK, about how she is coping with the heat, heat, because it's been going on for a while. We'll also speak today with a Winnipeg woman who found a stranger sleeping on her couch. So what would you do in that situation? Call 911? Yeah, I think I would too. Well, that's exactly what this woman did, only to wait 20 minutes for police to arrive. She says dispatchers told her to confront the intruder herself. Plus, you may have heard something of late about Canada making an exception on Russian sanctions to ship a repaired turbine used to ship Russian gas to Germany. Well, wouldn't you know it, even with that controversial exemption, Russia's state-controlled natural natural gas producer is now saying it still cannot guarantee future gas supplies. We're going to have a guest on to walk us through why this is so infuriating. We've been talking a lot lately, of course, about the horrifying decision south of the border to outlaw abortions in many states. 
even for young children, even for victims of rape and incest. It is absolutely disgusting what is going on in several states in the United States. And our politicians have reinforced that that will never happen here, that they value a woman's right to reproductive choice, that they value women's health. But still, still across this country, and this may come as a surprise to some people, because of course, this is uh, anybody who this comes as a surprise to is speaking from a place of privilege. But across this country, there are still women who cannot access the contraceptive care that they need. That is crazy to me. If we value a woman's right to reproductive choice, if we value women's health, how in the heck do we still have places in this country where there are barriers to getting the appropriate contraceptive care? That is actually the case here in Canada. It's nothing new. For years and years, there have been advocates, academics, healthcare providers, you name it, calling for change on that. And there's somebody else who's adding their voice to this mix today. We're going to speak with an advocate who is calling for that change coming up after the break. So we have a lot of great stuff today. Uh, you may have also heard about the airport problems that are happening in Canada. I have not experienced them myself in the last couple of months, but I've heard many stories from my loved ones, my friends uh, who have had the unfortunate uh, experience of making their way through airports. We're going to talk to a woman today who used an Apple AirTag device to track her bag when it was lost for, I think it was five days. She had traveled to Pearson from the East Coast. We're going to talk to her a little bit later on in the show. We've got so much great stuff coming up for you today, including, as I mentioned, coming up right after the break, we're going to be speaking with somebody who is advocating for better access to contraceptives in this country. I'm Tamara Cherry filling in for Evan Solomon. This is the Evan Solomon Show with special guest host Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello, thank you everybody for listening. I'm filling in for Evan this week. Evan is off enjoying the sunshine, I hope. I actually have no idea. I just know he's on vacation, maybe somewhere cold and wet, like here in Regina, Saskatchewan this morning. I was reading a column last night on CBC's website. It was written by a family emergency physician in Ottawa named Dr. Vivian Tam. Dr. Tam opens a column talking about a young woman she once cared for in a rural community who had had unprotected sex. The woman had arrived at the emergency department looking for contraceptive options. But the most appropriate option for the young woman, a copper intrauterine device, was not stocked in any of the local pharmacies. So the woman had to use something else that was less effective. In Canada, Dr. Tam writes, we need to ensure that all women are able to access the full spectrum of contraceptive and abortive services when and where they need it. Dr. Tam follows a long list of health specialists, researchers, and advocacy groups who have called for better access to contraceptives in this country. Just last year, the group Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights called on the federal government to provide free prescription contraception. 
Joining us now from that organization is the Director of Policy and Advocacy, Kelly Bowden. Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time today. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Kelly, if you could just start out by painting a picture for us, as as Dr. Tam touched on in her column, of what contraceptive access looks like in this country. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you started with that story because it brings life to the experience of people who are struggling with what is essentially a, a patchwork of access across provinces with ranges of different coverages and different options depending, uh, you know, where you are living in the country. And so as a result of this, um, so contraception is not uh, a universal health product in Canada. And so it is something that is, you know, a cost that you have to pay for. Uh, And lots of people have insurance that has, you know, some coverage. But again, that's a varied patchwork. Uh, And so really, uh, you know, access is dependent on where you are what type of insurance you may or may not have access to, um, and also the health services that could provide those um, products. That's such an excellent point that you raise. And and I just want to point out, because I think I said before this segment that this may not be an issue on many people's radar because they're probably coming from a, a place of privilege, but there are so many people who don't have healthcare coverage through their, through their employer. Maybe they don't have an employer. Um, and those birth control pills, just talking about birth control pills, because that's what I have experience with. They are expensive if you don't have coverage. 100%. Yeah. And the other group that we always talk about in the sort of uninsured category is young people. So you think about young mm-hmm. people who are either on their parents' uh, insurance coverage or students who have maybe left home and have no coverage at all. Um, and so definitely, you know, uh, access to these types of services are an important factor in you know, advancing women's rights, advancing our ability to, um, you know, do family building of our own accord. Uh, And then they obviously also have great long-term economic benefits in terms of the healthcare system because it mitigates against unintended or unplanned pregnancies. What would you say? I was I was literally just going to ask you this question, and of course, somebody um, somebody just sent in a message on the text board. What would you say to somebody who says, "Well, why don't they just use a condom? Why can't they just use a condom? Why do we? Why do us taxpayers need to pay for this stuff?" Yeah, and so I mean, condoms still have a cost. <laughs> first of all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, But I mean, I think, so what's happening right now, and and there was research that was done in BC about this, is that, you know, a a high percentage of women, uh, about 25% of women in Canada aren't using any method of contraception at all. And then, uh, you know, over about half of women aged 15 to 19 um, aren't using any method. So younger folks, less likely to be using contraception, period. Um, And, you know, the fact that there is a financial cost to contraceptive being able to control your fertility shouldn't be reserved for people who can afford it, whether that cost is $20 or whether that cost is, you know, upward of 400 in relation to an IUD. And the other thing is that contraception, like any health practice, is, you know, a very personal choice. What's going to work best for each person and their body is going to be different. And so the cheapest option is not necessarily the best for somebody just because it might be the most financially accessible. Is is cost the biggest barrier in this country for, I mean, that's a lot of people that you just said that are not using contraceptives. Is cost the biggest barrier? Is, is it access? What is it? 
Yeah, we talk about the need of, of contraception to be available, accessible, acceptable, and good quality. So basically what that means, um, availability is looking at ensuring that there's a wide range of contraceptive methods, including emergency contraception, that are you know available as uh, medicines in our country. And then accessibility is about you know, the physical accessibility and affordability. Um, So it's like the products need Mm -hmm. to be here. People need to be able to access them, both in terms of cost and in terms of distribution. Um, Acceptability is around, you know, recognizing that same point that what will work best for everybody will be different. Um, And good quality is about the provision of that care being stigma and judgment-free, So also recognizing Mm -hmm. that you may be in a situation where, and again, going back to young folks, where it's, you know, a cost is cheap, a condom is available, but the stigma around accessing that contraception might still be preventing you from from getting a hold of it. And I want to point something out before I get to my next question, because I'm getting some very ignorant comments on the text board, people saying that maybe you shouldn't be having sex if you can't afford it, all this stuff. I mean, that, that has its own host of problems. I'd also like to point out to people listening that not everybody in this country, even those who are in relationships and having sex with their intimate partners, not all of them are having sex uh, that is consensual. And so um, access to contraception is very important for people who don't want to get pregnant or could potentially get in trouble from their partner if they get pregnant because it's left up to them to to ensure that they don't get pregnant. Um, But my next question for you um, is, and and for anybody who is uh, just joining us now, we're speaking with Kelly Bowden from uh, the Action Canada and Sexual Health Set for Sexual Health and Rights Organization. Uh, but Kelly, I when I was researching this last night, I found so many academic papers, so many so many things written by uh, not just academics but healthcare providers, advocates such as yourself. I mean, this issue has been talked about to death. It seems. How are we still talking about it? Why is it taking so long to get there? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, we see the possibility of progress in the near future, right? There is a, a timeline on this government to identify what the essential medicines will be as a part of the rolling out of a pharmacare program here in Canada. And so we're clear and have been clear that a full host of contraceptive um, devices provisions should be a part of those essential medicines so that everyone across the country can have free access to whatever um, types of contraceptions that they choose. And this is, like I said, it's great in terms of being able to manage people's own right to choose and control their own um, fertility. And it also has these huge uh, economic benefits um, in terms of the, the healthcare costs, right? So, for example, there was a program in Colorado that offered free IUDs to young people. And the, that program, it cost about $28 million to run it, but it saw 50, over 50% reduction in teen pregnancies and over 60% reduction in mm. teen abortion rates over nearly a decade. So it saved $70 million for an investment of 30, right? So they've doubled their money wow. back at the provision of those products. So I think it's a win-win in terms of people having control over their own sexual lives and also is, you know, going to be a game changer for our health system costs if it's implemented. 
The the numbers make so much sense, but I know you must be rolling your eyes anytime that it gets to the point that you have to use those arguments because those shouldn't be the arguments we have to use. But but they are very, very uh, absolutely relevant uh, for the many people who think that this sort of thing is not worth our tax dollars. So Kelly Bowden, Director of Policy and Advocacy for, Advocacy for Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Thanks so much for your time today. Have a great day. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Coming up after the break, we're going to speak with somebody in scorching London, England, about how they are managing to battle the current heat wave. I'm Tamara Cherry, in for Evan Solomon. Evan Solomon is away. Sitting in, here's Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello, I am Tamara Cherry. And looking out my window right now, it is, the sun is sort of starting to come out in Regina, Saskatchewan. It was pummeling rain last night. Like it, it was, it was raining so hard that it woke both me and my husband up. Thankfully not our young kids, but this is, um, a welcome relief for us because it's been quite hot here. Not as hot, however, as what Britain has been experiencing. Britain shattered its record for highest temperature ever registered Tuesday today as part of a heat wave that has seized swaths of Europe. The UK Met Office registered a provisional reading of 40.2 degrees Celsius at Heathrow Airport. Before Tuesday, the highest temperature recorded in Britain was 38.7 a record just set in 2019. The heat wave is wreaking havoc on travel, grounding flights and disrupting train service. And it's not just in Britain, the scorching heat is bearing down on all of Western Europe, already blamed for at least 1,000 deaths in Spain and Portugal. That is just crazy, where they set a new record high of 47 degrees. There were moments of panic aboard a train, which was close to a massive forest fire. Here's what Francisco Sion Perez told CTV News. Just like when the train was resuming its march, I began smelling a little bit of a smoke. So that would have been really scary if we had been staying there for maybe half a minute more. Jeez. Lorenzo Labrador, a scientific officer for the World Meteorological Organization, told CTV News this heat wave is nearly unprecedented. The expansion of a high pressure system over the Atlantic, known as the Azores High, is leading to the driest conditions on the Iberian Peninsula in the last thousand years. All right. So what is it like to be living in that heat right now? Well, we have reached a woman who's living in London, England. Her name is Sarah Compton. Sarah. How are you feeling right now? What time is it there? Oh, it's 20 to 6 in the evening. 20 to 6. And and how hot is it? um, It's 39 at the moment, just about 38 in between the two. But it has been 40 about an hour and a half ago. Now, Sarah, we were very hot. Yes, we were chatting off air uh, just a moment ago, and I asked you whether you had air conditioning, and what was yes. your answer to me? Yeah, it's not common here, only in offices. Yeah, you're very lucky if you have a system or just a, a conditioning unit that goes out the window. So, Sarah, how have you been coping without air conditioning in this heat? It's been hard, but this is obviously very abnormal for us. So usually we don't really need it, but I've just been having the window shut, um, the curtains shut as well, which sounds silly, but because the air's warmer outside, 
having lots of water, electrolytes, cooling towels, ice packs. <laughs> it's crazy, honestly. Jeez. Oh, uh, and Sarah, are you living alone or are you living with someone else in, in your apartment? It's me and my cat. So my cat is suffering a lot as well. Bless him with his oh. fur coat. Oh, you know what? It's so interesting because we always hear um, reminders from police and and paramedics in the summertime here in Canada. Don't leave your children or your pets in a hot car because it can be very dangerous. But I mean, there's not really much that you can do in the sweltering, sweltering heat for your cat, is there? No, I mean, some dogs have actually been rescued from cars. Um, Yesterday, people had to smash into the window of the car because they just left there. But I mean, he he just keeps meowing at me all the time. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't let you out. It's too hot. <laughs> just Aww, have to give him treats all day. Poor little, <laughs> poor little kitten. Um, okay, so Sarah, you are, you're in a ground floor apartment. That's probably yes. your only saving grace, I guess, right? Yes. What, yeah. tell, tell us first, because you told me this off air as well. I thought it was interesting. You checked your weather app today. And, and what is yes. the weather? What is the, what is the weather reading in London? Currently, right now, it says smoke, which is something I've never seen before. Usually, it would be sunny, cloudy, but at this time as well, I've never seen that. It's it's just something different. Smoke, smoke. I yes. remember when I was living in Toronto, seeing smog. We would get a lot of smog days in Toronto. Smoke is something else. I mean, we heard about the uh, the forest fire that was uh, raging next to that train, but but there's also been fires in the city. Tell me what you've been hearing about that. So I've heard about some um, from like cables that have overheated and they've just got so hot the house has been on fire. Not not too far from me, but not too close either. So it's just scary. That's got to be scary, especially living yeah. in an apartment building where there's, there's all yes. sorts of electrical cables. Yes, exactly. That was my first thought, apart from the safety of those people, of course. Jeez, do you do you have any uh, family members that are like? Does your family live in London as well? Are they living through this heat also? Yes, quite a few of them are nearby, and if they are struggling as well, especially those who are in houses, it's obviously harder for them with the, having to sleep upstairs. I'm just mm. so grateful that I'm not sleeping upstairs because I just couldn't imagine getting yeah. even an hour. Yeah. Well, how, how hot is it at nighttime overnight? What have the temperature, have they been falling at all? Uh, tonight it says about 26 and then from about 8 p.m. 26 and then 22 at 10 p.m. Last night it was 18 degrees. Oh. So, but we do have some rain on the way and thunderstorms. So I'm looking forward to just laying outside in it later tonight (laughs) hopefully I don't care who sees me I'm gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) out on your balcony or out on the rooftop are you just gonna go out onto the sidewalk and lay in that rain so I have like a garden a yard so I can just lay there It'll be fine. Oh, <laughs> oh, the sweet, sweet rain. I don't think that anyone's going to be judging. In fact, I doubt that you're going to be no. out, out there. Um, so Sarah, how has it been? Like 18 degrees must have been really nice for you last night, but what has it been like sleeping in this heat? It's been hard, but to be honest, I, I know um, you have different like bedding there, I think, but we uh, usually have like a duvet and a sheet. The sheet in, the duvet's in the sheet. So I've got no duvet. It's just like a thin sheet the moment Mm -hmm. and but I have been finding it okay to cool down a bit but I have I'm having weird dreams in this weather because it feels different in my bed I can't I can't remember to be honest but 
just weird dreams like in different places it's oh. it's affecting that you know, it, it might be like one of those like fever dreams like when you're sick and yes. you got a fever you have those weird yeah. dreams i wonder if the temperature is affecting that yes possibly because it is making me feel quite unwell as well oh are it's you are you working nice. from home are you working these days um so i'm actually um disabled i have health conditions and my organs aren't working properly so with this heat like it's affecting my heart so I mean you can't really do much in this weather I really do sympathize with people that have to work outside no kidding so you just have to stay at home and and not exert yourself I guess yeah yeah exactly just just take it easy taking them as a few days off to just kind of relax oh (laughs) yeah well you know you put a pretty positive spin on that I like that yeah I try you have to I mean it's only going to get cooler now today so I'm thinking of it that way yes exactly and then do you know is this heat supposed to break after that or um is it do you have more in store for you um so this is the worst day today and then it will be around 26 tomorrow and a pretty stable from then on mid 20s so hopefully it should stay like that for a while but I think we have a few warmer days ahead but not nowhere near as hot as this, thankfully. No kidding. Um, Sarah, one more question for you. We just have a minute left here, but yeah. is there anything that you feel like the, the government should be doing to, to help you guys through this? I mean, you hear about a thousand deaths in, in Spain and Portugal, like yes. that, that is crazy. What, what do you think should be done about this? I think probably education, because a lot of people are saying it's some big media hype and, oh, you know, they get this temperature in these countries abroad, but it is very different with the humidity. So education would be good and to kind of help the elderly and vulnerable people in any way. I'm not sure how, but there there could be something they could put in place. Mm-hmm. Just we'll bring them safe. bring them some of those cold towels like the ones that you're yes. keeping in your fridge yeah sarah 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 compton thank you so much for taking the time today thank i you. hope that you get that reprieve that you are expecting and enjoy your rain shower tonight thanks enjoy your cooler weather <laughs> thank you take care thanks. bye bye sarah compton was joining us from london england where they have been experiencing as as much of europe has been scorching temperatures coming up after the break Do you think that we should be spending public dollars on the Olympics or is it time to give up that bid? I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. Welcome back to the Evan Solomon Show. Today with special guest host Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And I hope that you will participate in this next segment. You can give us a call, 1-855-633-1010, or as always, send us a text message at 71010. But I really do like to hear your voice. An editorial published yesterday in the Globe and Mail opened with these words. Hosting a huge party takes a lot of work and money, but it's definitely fun. Those hours with friends and family are great, but the joy is fleeting and hangovers are inevitable. That doesn't mean it's foolish to invite everyone over. But it's important to remember there is a price to pay before the guests arrive and after they leave. The editorial board is referring to the Olympic Games and the looming deadline for Vancouver to finalize its bid for the 2030 Winter Olympic Games. So I want to hear from you. Is it a wise use of public money 
to put in these bids and to host these games. Do you agree with the Globe and Mail's editorial board? Is this a wide use of taxpayer dollars? Give me a call, 1-855-633-1010. That's 1-855-633-1010. Or send me a text message at 71010. Now, the latest bid by Vancouver to find this latest bid that they're trying to finalize for the 2030 Winter Olympic Games follows an attempted bid by Calgary to get the 2026 Olympic Games. The editorial board lays out the costs associated to the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Winter Games. They say the organizing committee claimed it broke even on a $1.9 billion budget, but that included about $200 million in public money. And it did not include the $600 million tax million dollars taxpayers spent on venues and the almost $1 billion they spent on security. Plus, the city of Vancouver lost more than $100 million on the Olympic Village in a real estate deal gone wrong. That is a lot of money on the hook. And, and you know, I know we all have very fond memories of the Vancouver Olympic Games. We brought home, I think it was a record number of gold medals, um, that that Olympic Games. Uh, it was a very proud moment for Canada. But what do you think? Is it worth all of that money? one 633 Give me a call or send me a text message at 71010. The Global Mail editorial also breaks down uh, what we would be looking, what we would have been looking at for the Calgary Olympics in 2026 had they got that big. Organizers there, the Globe Rights, planned to reuse old venues and had a proposed budget of $5.1 billion, half of it public money. That is a lot of money. A majority of Calgarians rejected the plan in a 2018 plebiscite. So they do point out that the Vancouver 2030 plan is likewise staked on savings from using old venues. But they say, don't forget, however, that the main venues for Vancouver 2010, the hockey rink, the stadium uh, for the ceremonies, the mountain resorts for skiing, all existed before the Olympics. So old is new again. Sales pitch is not very original in this case. I'm getting some text on the text board. Uh, Somebody texting in from Ottawa saying, personally, I don't think it is good spending but I don't think ending the Olympics would be wise either. I think keeping them is wiser than canceling. I'm not necessarily asking you whether you think we should cancel the Olympics altogether. You know, there's, there's lots of conversations to be had about whether we should be letting certain countries host the Olympics. I wasn't a big fan of letting uh, China having Beijing uh, host the Olympics, given their horrible track record of human rights, rights abuses. But do you think it is worth the money for us to host these games? Because it costs a lot more money for us to host these games than than for us to send our athletes uh, abroad somewhere. Uh, Lily, you're calling from Montreal. What do you What do you think? Do you Do you think Canada should be spending billions of dollars to host the Olympic Games? I could think of a hundred things more important than hosting the Olympics. Number one is healthcare. And I think, you know, with Montreal, we just finished paying for the 76 Olympics recently. I mean, it, it is, it, the whole thing is absurd. And we still have an Olympic stadium that is not usable and has, that doesn't have a proper roof. So I don't understand why people want to spend millions and millions of dollars 
to do this when our country is falling yeah, billions, apart. Billions, billions and billions of dollars. Yes, and, our, and our health system is broken across the country. I mean, it's particularly bad in Quebec, but I know from experience it's bad everywhere. And I think they should concentrate on taking care of the citizens, the tax-paying citizens. I think they should support the athletes. I think it's very important for young people. I think it's wonderful. Support the athletes and send them, but don't have any events here. All right. Well said. Thank you very much, Lily. Uh, It's interesting to hear that perspective because usually when we're talking about hosting the Olympic Games, you know, cities, especially whether it's the Olympics or the World Cup bid that Toronto just put in, we talk, we talk a lot about the hype and how exciting it would be to have this here and, and having, having our cities on the world stage and showcasing all the wonderful things that Canada has to offer. And certainly the plans that Vancouver has put forward do sound incredible. This, this would be uh, an Indigenous led initiative we would be celebrating a lot of our indigenous history and culture in this country that is great but it is still a lot of money what do you think give me a call 1-866 oh my gosh i'm getting the phone i'm getting the phone number wrong now don't don't fire me from this job 1-855-633-1010 1-855-633-1010 lots of text messages still pouring in uh and one person texting in from toronto no to the olympics canada cannot afford them uh, another person in toronto absolutely not they uh, always lose colossal amounts of money it only benefits the corrupt ioc and that is actually a point that was that was made in this in this globe and mail editorial as well the the ioc they write rakes in millions while host cities and countries foot the bill. Spending tax dollars on the Olympics, the editorial concludes, is simply not a wise place to invest public money. And it's interesting too, um, because it's not just about the money that is spent, but as Lily, uh, our, our caller from Montreal just pointed out, they're left with this Olympic stadium that doesn't have that they don't have much use for. Or any use for? I think she said any use for. So, what was all that money? Where? What? How is all that money working for us right now? Somebody else texted in from Montreal, pointing out that the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, the construction cost was about seven hundred and seventy million dollars, one point four seven billion dollars in two thousand six, including additional costs interest and repairs. That's from Drew in Montreal. So it's not just a matter of putting money into these things, but it's also uh, maintaining these things. Marquis, you're calling from, or is it Marcus calling from Kitchener? Yes, I am. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, you know, thanks for calling. Like last, this is like the last caller said. I'll try to be quick about it. She says, you know what? She agrees to fund the athletes. Yeah, we fund them. We give them all this talent. Then what? What happens if every country in the world decided they don't want to host it because the money's spending? So what's the point? I think we should host them. I think we should spend that money for them. It is worth it, and it will inspire younger children to want to be athletic. And most people that do complain are not the athletic people themselves. Spend the money. Good for the country. Everybody's making money. It's good for the small businesses. Like, everybody suffered through um, the COVID. Now we can recoup some of that money. And, yes, fine that we are funding it as taxpayers. So what? We'll make that money back in the next generation or whatever it's going to be. But I think we should continue it, and I think we should stop worrying about that money thing and let the athletes do what they're supposed to do, is be athletes. The the last caller, though, and, and stay on the line with me here because I want to continue this. The last caller, though, is pointing out that the Montreal, Montreal when they hosted the 76 Olympics, they're, they've just recently paid off that debt. Is it worth taking on decades of debt to, to, to spend this money when there's there are so many other things that we need to be spending money on?
listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Today, with special guest host, Tamara Cherry. Hello, thank you for listening. Good morning. If you're in my end of the country in Saskatchewan, good afternoon. If you are east of here, a little bit east of here, about five hours east on the number one highway is Winnipeg. And that is where a woman says that she found an intruder in her house and called 911. And I don't think you're going to believe what what the 911 dispatcher told her. Angela Chalmers is on the line. Angela, thanks so much for taking the time. Hi, Tamara. Thanks for having me. So we have never had an intruder in our house. I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be. But for a number of years, my husband slept with a baseball bat next to the bed because he wanted to be prepared should this happen. But I imagine that if I encountered somebody sleeping on my couch, I would not wanting to I would not be wanting to approach them. So just back up a little bit. Uh, This happened last month, I understand. Tell us what happened. I was sound asleep in my bed. And um, thankfully, I have a dog and my dog started growling and barking. So I woke up to you know, take a look at what was going on. And I got about halfway down my stairs and I realized that there was a man uh, sound asleep on my couch. And so, of course, I grabbed my dog and I, I ran back upstairs and hid in, uh, barricaded myself in the room with my roommate. And uh, we called 911. And we proceeded to stay on the line for over 20 minutes before police actually showed up. And in that 20-minute time, the, uh, the 911 dispatcher, the person who you're always taught is the person that will tell you what to do to stay safe, told me that the police were really busy that night. So would I mind going downstairs to wake the gentleman up myself? <laughs> would you mind going downstairs and waking the gentleman up? Like, that is astounding to me. What was, what was your response to this dispatcher? Well, so the backstory on me is I, unfortunately, this is my second home invasion. And in my first home invasion, I was held hostage by two gentlemen. Um, this was 12 years ago and um, beat, beaten with uh, sledgehammers. And, um, and I actually died. And so when someone who tells me that when this, I see another stranger in my house, for me to go downstairs and wake him up myself, like, isn't that the point of the police? Uh, mm. so no. So I said, no, <laughs> I said a big, no, I'm not going mm-hmm. to do that. And, um, and it, it, it actually ended up taking four large police officers, um, to take him out. So what, what would have happened if I had followed their instructions? It's mm. terrifying. It, 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 first, Angela, um, thank you for sharing that, that previous story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm so sorry that, that this latest incident happened to you as well. That's absolutely horrifying. Um, I think for anybody who had not even experienced uh, a previous violent incident as you unfortunately had, I think anybody would would not feel comfortable going and approaching uh, that person. Now, you said it took four large police officers to get this guy out. Was it because he was passed out or was he being combative? What what was the situation once police finally arrived? Well, I was out there with my dog. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, uh, he's, he's on high alert now, too, of course. Um, yeah. it, uh, it, 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 they, I think 
because I was hiding when, when they actually took him out. But from what I could hear when he was woke, when he was awoken, he was so intoxicated um, or high. I'm not sure what that uh, he, he was being quite combative. So, um, yeah, so it, it would have been a really dangerous uh, situation for one person, let alone one person who has no training in, in how to, how to handle folks like that. Have you, we're speaking with Angela Chambers right now, Chalmers, I'm sorry, Angela, uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, Angela woke up last month to find a stranger sleeping on her couch. She called 911, had to wait 20 minutes for officers to arrive and, and says that a dispatcher told her to go and wait. Would she mind going and waking up that man herself? Um, have you received any sort of explanation for why this happened or whether this was indeed the right thing for this dispatcher to, to do and, and for police to take so long? Uh, I have I have been told that the dispatcher has been talked to, um, but I did also um, hear that, that that was considered within appropriate response time for the police. And 20 minutes for a stranger to be in your house and for them to take 20 minutes to get here, that doesn't seem appropriate to me at all. No. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem appropriate to me either. I mean, it's one thing to call police and say, somebody just broke into my house, they've run away, and then they might say, okay, well, we're going to respond to these more urgent issues first. Yeah. But yeah. when you actually have somebody inside your home, and and I, 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 I imagine that the dispatcher wasn't aware that you had previously been been victimized in, in a violent home invasion. But, well, I, but even, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, I did actually respond when they finally, like when they did ask me to come downstairs, I did tell them that I had a previous experience and, um, and, and that didn't actually, unfortunately, seem to change any, any of their mind about how, how they thought I could help deal with this, which is just mm. absurd. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll, I'll point out that the, that Winnipeg police say that the incident is being reviewed and uh, as you mentioned, uh, Angela, the 911 dispatcher who spoke to you has been provided feedback on the handling of the call, some of which deviated from standard practice, according to <laughs> somebody from the Winnipeg Police Service Public Affairs. Uh, spokesperson also said that they would typically advise callers not to approach a person, which could put their safety in jeopardy. This is, I mean, this must have been a very traumatic event for you. Again, I'm sorry that you had to experience it. What what has life been like for you um, in the days since, as as you go to bed at night or or in your home, it's supposed well, to be your safe place. But I know this is a big violation. Exactly, this is supposed to be the the safe space, and so you know, uh, sleep hasn't been all that uh, that good. I do have a good community of of friends around me, so you know, I've had some some great people to to help. Um, so that's been really great, and I do still have my dog who seems to to take good care of me. So that's something, but, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not sleeping well. And, and, and I just keep thinking about what, what, what if, you know, or what if they give Mm -hmm. this recommendation to, to another person that calls that doesn't have the, um, the, the strength to say no, because we're supposed to listen Mm -hmm. to these people. This is, these are the people that are supposed to keep us safe and, and it's not keeping us safe. I've heard from a lot of people in describing traumatic incidents that a minute felt like an hour or, you know, it was only five minutes, but it felt like it was there for ages. What what was that 20 minutes like for you waiting, knowing that this person was was downstairs on your couch? Well, it just kept going and going and going. Right. And and, you know, you're you're trying to hide in a closet and you're trying to keep your animals quiet because at this point the person's asleep. And so you're 
you're thinking, what mm. if they wake up? And so, yeah, it really, that, that's a really accurate description. So, you know, one minute feels like an hour. So you can imagine how long 20 minutes felt while we were hiding. And did they yeah. tell you, I know they said that they were having a busy night. Did they tell you that it would be 20 minutes? No, no, they did not. <laughs> not mm. at all. No. And were, were they able, were the, was the dispatcher able to provide you any comfort while you were waiting all this time? No, no. Mm. Uh, you know, after, after, um, you know, giving advice like that, I, I just, I didn't want to speak with this person anymore, mm. but, but, you know, they, you have to stay on the line and, and I just really hope that this person um, that's doing the dispatching or the person that's training the people to do this dispatching realizes how that affects and impacts the person on the other end of the line. They're supposed to help us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they did. Angela, uh, Angela Chalmers, I'm, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry that the previous incident happened to you as well. Uh, And I hope that you can start feeling safe in your home again very soon. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Well, uh, living in Canada, you have probably heard uh, about an incident that happened recently where the government reversed sanctions uh, in order to ship something, a a Russian-made natural gas producer to their benefit. Well, there's a little bit of a twist on this story coming up after the break. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. This is the Evan Solomon Show with special guest host Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Happy to have you here filling in for Evan Solomon this week as he enjoys some time off in the hot, hot summer. You might have heard a story of late. You probably have if you've been listening to the news, a bit of a controversial one about Canada's decision, the Trudeau government's decision to circumvent its own sanctions on Moscow to release a repaired turbine used to ship Russian gas to Germany. Now, of course, this would not have been an easy decision. Um, The sanctions have been a very serious thing ever since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. Uh, the, The list of sanctions grew and grew and Canada took this or made this decision presumably to help out uh, European neighbors to over in, especially in Germany, to get their gas. They haven't been able to get their gas. And as winter approaches, this could mean very dangerous things for them. But of course, this was met by um, an uproar by many people in Canada who do not want Canada to be helping Russia at all. And wouldn't you know it, that we're now learning that Russia's state-controlled natural gas producer despite these sanctions being overturned, this sanction in particular, is warning European customers that it cannot guarantee future gas supplies, even though Canada circumvented its own sanctions on Moscow. There's a lot of people who are understandably upset about this. 
Uh, and a lot of people who aren't surprised, and I imagine the person that we have on the line right now is one of one of those people. Ihor Michael Chisson is the CEO and executive director of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. Ihor, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for reaching out, Tamara. So tell me, I mean, if you could just, I, I know you've you've spoken about this in recent days, but just walk us through first what your reaction was initially to Canada choosing to circumvent its own sanctions on Russia to release this repaired turbine. Sure, yeah. Actually, we've been talking a lot about it. We had some rallies over the weekend, including here in Parliament Hill and, and in Edmonton and Quebec City and Montreal and other places. So uh, people are uh, people are angry, people are disappointed. Um I was personally sort of surprised that uh, that Canada took this step, given all the uh, information that Ukraine was providing about alternatives, given the fact that there's a lot going on, um, you know, within a very complicated sector, uh, the energy sector in Europe. But there were a lot of people working on, on other solutions. And so we were surprised that uh, Russia, that the Russian deadline of July 11th was met by, by Germany and Canada in this case. What what are those other solutions that you're referring to? Uh, specifically, Ukraine had offered to uh, transit gas through existing pipelines that go through Ukraine. Right, there, that Germany is obviously Western Europe is dependent on Russian gas. There's no getting around that right now. But uh, Ukraine had offered, uh, as has been done, you know, for decades previously, to transit the gas through Ukraine. Uh, that means that the Russians though have to stop bombing Ukraine and sending missiles to places where this gas uh, goes through, uh, and that was the the solution that Ukraine was was offering uh, to uh, avert any kind of showdown about the this particular Nord Stream One pipeline and turbines. So, so just by way of a bit of background for anybody who's not uh, necessarily as familiar with this subject. Last month, the Russia state-controlled natural gas producer that I was referring to, it's called Gazprom, mm-hmm. cited that the delayed return of natural gas turbine equipment, which had uh, which uh, Siemens Energy had been servicing here in Canada, they cited that delayed return as the reason that it had decided to reduce the flow of natural gas. Uh, and, and, and the pipeline, which ships gas to Germany and Russia, was subsequently cut to 40% capacity. So with that context, Ihor, what was your reaction then when uh, Russia's state-controlled natural gas producers said uh, that they won't be able to guarantee future gas supplies, give, well, even, even though we've circumvented yeah. these sanctions? Not surprising. And and frankly, you know, Putin has been playing, uh, you know, he plays, he uses energy as a weapon, as a political tool uh, through the through Gazprom uh, and many European countries have been expecting. I mean, we are at we are in an economic war, uh, even in Canada. Every time we put a sanction on Russia, uh, they they understand this. They are going to push back and fight back. And so, con- countries in Western Europe uh, have been expecting for months that there will be retaliation. And, and Putin is not a, a dumb man. He knows that you know he can cut Germany off of of gas for the winter. And so uh, that's why there are. There are many uh, kind of elements to this story, but the the most surprising element is that, you know, this July 11th demand by Russia, as you just read there, uh, that, that, that Germany and Canada would sort of cave into that. Essentially, the Germans said they were being blackmailed by, by the Russian uh, state gas uh, producer. And so, you know, there are there are other options. There are better options. It sets a dangerous precedent that, that you know, I don't know that the Russians expected Canada and Germany to cave here. And now now they know that there's pressure points and that our sanctions are not 
uh, are not without waiver, are not without gaps, that we will pick and choose when it's convenient to follow them or not. So how do you think uh, Trudeau and his government should be reacting now to this to this declaration by Russia? Well, I, I think now they still have time to make the right decision. There are six turbines, which is another thing that we learned. It's not just one, but they're sort of they mm. issued a waiver that was reported for two years for six turbines, which we think is quite right. outrageous, uh, quite a quite a you know different thing than talking about a one time piece uh, of equipment moving. And so there is there is time to make the right decision. Given what you've just read, I think that the the government of Canada should be rethinking and relooking at the facts on the ground. You know, talking to our German allies, our Ukrainian allies, to say that this is. This, you know, they may have made the original decision. We think it was a poor decision, but there's still time to, to you know, back down from this and say, you know, no more games of turbines. That uh, Canada and and Germany will will um, be strong on sanctions against the Russian regime. I mean, this is about money. Russia needs money from its gas sales to fund the war in Ukraine. That money is being spent to kill. Ukrainians uh, to send to buy missiles to you know set fire to Ukrainian cities uh, and and fields and to create you know a global hunger crisis a food security crisis so uh, we should stop doing anything that that helps Russia uh, you know gain the funds to continue this war as they have for the past five months. We're we're speaking with Ihor Mike uh, Ihor Michael Chesen, who's the CEO and executive director of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, which of course is an advocacy group for Canadians of Ukrainian origin. Uh, Ihor, what have you been hearing from from members of the Ukrainian community in recent days over this decision? Well, I've heard from uh, from all Canadians, actually all sorts of Canadians, not you know people from our community, people from other communities, mm-hmm. uh, people internationally. Uh, I think internationally people are surprised uh, because Canada you know, has been seen to have a very strong principled lead stand on, on you know, taking on Russia and supporting Ukraine. And so there's, there's sort of uh, confusion about where this is coming from. Uh, in Canada, uh, we've had lots of people, I'm sure thousands of people have written and called the Prime Minister's office, their members of Parliament. We, we encourage everybody to do that, to, to voice their concern, because we, we do think, as you said, there still is time to reverse this decision, to uh, to waiver uh, on this waiver, so to speak, to cancel the waiver on the sanctions, given the information that's been presented by, by the Russians. And we really think that, you know, the, the Foreign Affairs Committee of Canada's parliament is meeting at our at our behest. Uh, we've called for that. They mm-hmm. will have Minister Jolie, Minister Wilkinson up there. Uh, you know, we want a full explanation of what was considered in going into this decision. Uh, we think that there will be experts that speak there who will show that this decision was not necessary and that, in fact, can be reversed. All right. Yeah, you're, you're, of course, referring to the parliamentary committee that is uh, preparing to hold hearings to look into how uh, Mr. Trudeau came to this decision. Uh, Ihor Michael Chisin, uh, CEO and executive director of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your time with us today. Thank you very much. We'll keep in touch as these committee hearings roll out. Absolutely. I'm interested to see what comes of them. Have a great day. So if you are living in Canada, which I'm sure many of you listeners are, you have no doubt experienced or heard stories from people who have experienced the absolute shenanigans that are happening at our airports. Coming up after the break, we're going to speak with somebody who has has absolutely experienced many of the many of these shenanigans uh, firsthand, and she has decided to use recently. She decided to use a tiny piece of technology to track her bag in the case that it was lost. And wouldn't you know, her bag was lost for five full days. That's coming up after the break. I am Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon.
You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Filling in for Evan, it's Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Well, we have all seen the pictures of rows of baggage lined up in airport terminals. We've all heard stories from people who have had their flights canceled at the last minute. Perhaps you've had this unfortunate or these unfortunate experiences. Certainly, if you're a frequent traveler, no doubt you likely have. An Ipsos poll released late last week found that six in 10 Canadians are avoiding airports until the situation improves. And seven in 10 call the situation a national embarrassment. Now, I imagine our next guest would fall into at least that last category. From what I understand, she she has to travel quite a bit for work. Kelly Lang is on the line. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. So, Kelly, this is not the first time you have spoken out about about problems with air travel in Canada. I know you've been vocal. I, I went through your, your TikTok feed the other day. Uh, we're talking to you today because of uh, technological advancement that you decided to use to track your bag in the case that it was lost. And inevitably, of course, it was. Uh, but you have had a pretty rough go of things because you you have to travel quite a bit for work. Is that right? Yes. So uh, at the start of the pandemic, I had the opportunity to move with my partner to St. John, New Brunswick, and we used to live in downtown. So I do uh, travel quite frequently. It's normally a straight shot from St. John to Toronto, and I am flying quite a bit, and my family is still out here. So I do uh, travel quite often, and it's very unfortunate what's happening right now, at least with the airlines in Canada. So, so start out by telling us, what have you seen in airports of late? What, what are some of the scenes that you can paint for us? Oh, uh, lots of cancellations uh, and delays. I, I know when I'm getting to Pearson, at least the flight will be delayed, and I'm not surprised if it's canceled. Tons of people in line, uh, lots of lines at the customer service, lots of luggage just hanging out by itself. So it really seems to be a mess, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, 7 in 10 people are very disappointed with what's happening uh, with our Canadian airports. Yeah, no kidding. And when you're talking about going from St. John, Newfoundland to downtown Toronto, I mean, air travel seems to be the way to go. You're probably not willing to spend the time that it would take to uh, make that make that journey by car or the bulk of that journey by car. So you before we before we get to this technology bet, uh, you have actually shown up at the airport to find out that your flight was canceled, like essentially right before your flight. Is that right? Yes, that's true. It's happened twice now, and it's normally um, on the way from Toronto back out east, and it, it happens quite frequently. I know Air Canada is cutting, cutting many flights uh, to these smaller locations, so I know it's not just affecting me, but it does seem to be affecting a lot of those uh, smaller east coast uh, airports, at least right now. Yeah, well, I can tell you my sister-in-law flying from uh, Regina, where I am right now in Saskatchewan, to Toronto last week or two weeks ago she was we were basically getting ready to go to the airport and she got a text message saying your flight has been canceled due to crew constraints something like that and that was it there was no call this number to reschedule or we have rebooked you for this time it was it was hugely stressful she had to get back for work okay so let's jump into uh what your idea was you were obviously worried about potentially losing your bag seeing all those uh, line all those abandoned luggage shots and everything uh what did you decide to do 
Yeah, so I actually can't take all of the credit. Uh, my boyfriend's mother is also an avid traveler, and I'm a big golfer. So I'm traveling a lot of uh, a lot of times with my golf clubs, you know, um, in Canada and North America. And at Christmas, she bought us an AirTag, and she said, you know, this is good. Put it in your golf bag. So I was using it in my golf bag pre-pandemic. And then mm. just off the cuff, I thought, you know, I should be using this in my regular luggage bag. Yes, you know, my golf clubs are expensive, but with all the things happening, why not throw it in there? Thank God I did because I then had that whole situation where my luggage was had lost for five days. So air tags seem to be the best thing going right now if you're traveling domestically or internationally. So you are so just explain for people what an air tag is first. Yeah, so AirTags, you know, there's a lot of trackers out there. I, I'm an I'm an Apple user, so AirTags are connect with your iPhone. It, it, it comes up in your devices, and it actually pings off of other Apple devices. So even if I'm not beside the AirTag or I'm hundreds of miles away, as long as an Apple device is near there, it will ping it, and then it will come up on your device, and you're able to track it. You can even, you know, have a little tune. You can listen for the tune if you're close to the AirTag. But I was able to track it, you know, um, thousands and thousands of kilometers away from Pearson and see it move. Moving uh, or not moving in those five days that I was waiting for it. So I should point out that, and and some some of our listeners may be familiar with this. These air tags, and, and not just the air tags, but there's these tile devices. There's all sorts of little GPS tracking devices you can stick on your stuff. I used to have one on my keys. They they've come under some fire because I, I know I read a, a story recently about car thieves who would stick these things inside, you know, the gas canister, for example, and or the gas latch, um, in order to find out where you live and go steal your car, or they could drop it in your bag to find out where you live. But this seems to have worked out pretty well for you. So tell me, like, what did you see happen with your bag over those five days? Yeah, so it's about an hour and a half direct flight. Um, I got on that flight. I landed in St. John. I went to the conveyor belt and I wasn't alone. There was about 30 of us who didn't have their luggage. So, of course, I whipped out my phone. I could see it was still at Pearson. I had no notifications, no emails from Air Canada. Mm. Five days went by, radio silence. And I was still able to see, okay, it's in Pearson. I know it's there. I didn't bother calling. There's two, three-hour wait if you're going to call. Uh, but then on that mm. fifth day, I saw that it didn't make its way to me, and I actually just was able to drive to the airport because it is small, show them my ID, and pick up my bag. But I think just for a peace of mind thing, it was really great for me because I was able to see it. I knew it was okay, and I knew at least it was coming to me. Uh, but, yeah, not a lot of communication with Air Canada, unfortunately. So what do you think those five days would have looked like had you not been able to see on your phone that your bag was still in Toronto? I would have been freaking out. <laughs> I had a lot of good personal items, you know, in that luggage. Um, you know, I was I would have been very scared and I would have been very worried that I, I wouldn't have seen that luggage again. So at least with that tracker, you know, I was able to see it. I knew it wasn't Pearson. You know, if it, if it was there for like 10, 15 more days, maybe I would have made a phone call. But it just gave me that peace of mind to be able to to see it and have a little bit of control at least. And I bet that it saved you a lot of time. Like, I wonder how many of those 30 people that were that also had had not got their bags off that conveyor belt. I wonder how many of them like went kept going back to the airport every day looking for their bag. 
I know it's funny. A few of them, we made quick friends so that I could let them know at least where my luggage was. So, you know, we added oh, good. social media <laughs> and they, I was able to check in with them and say, hey, guys, I know my luggage is still at Pearson. So that means yours is probably there, too. So a few of us connected that way. But, yeah, I feel the same. A lot of them were there for quick weddings, family trips. They uh, might have made their way back to Toronto and maybe their luggage, you know, had gone the oh, other way. Oh, so. yeah, cross paths with their luggage in, like, midair. Yeah. They're going back Oh my yeah. goodness. Did did you did any of them tell like did you hear from any of them when they finally got their bags? Was it five days as well? Yeah, a few of them. Um it was the five days and they were just able to come to the airport, show their ID and pick up their luggage. So I am happy I was able to help out those few passengers that I connected with. So that was good. Okay. Kelly, we're talking to Kelly Lang. We've just got, uh, she's a Canadian who's who travels a lot in Canada and has seen all the, you know, the gamut of problems in airports. We've just got a minute left, Kelly, but I know one of your uh, TikTok videos recently was your top tips for travel. What would your top tips for travel be for Canadians these days going through airports? Yeah, definitely. Book ahead. Give yourself a few extra days. Uh, get a tracker if you can, but don't be scared to travel because a lot of these smaller communities here in Canada rely on the tourism. And, you know, with the pandemic happening, we really need to get out there and support them. So I really think these airlines need to step up, but just give yourself a few extra days, use those trackers and still travel, right? We're past the pandemic now. We need to have a little fun and explore Canada. So get out there and, and just use that tracker if you can. I love that. Thank you, Kelly Lang. What a pleasure it's been speaking with you. Have an awesome day and best of luck with all of your future travels. You too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. I got to say, I used to have a tile for my keys uh, and, and one on my phone, like another GPS tracking device. And uh, But then I got an Apple Watch and that allowed me to ping my phone whenever I can't find it. I haven't used a tile in a while, but I think my next trip to Costco is going to include a GPS tracking device for my luggage, because that is one of the biggest stresses when it comes to traveling. I like, I try to avoid the checked baggage at all costs. Well, coming up after the break, we have got a lovely little story from you also from the East Coast in Halifax. The things you can learn seeing a different flag flying outside your neighbor's house. We'll get into that after the break. Welcome back to the Evan Solomon Show. Today with special guest host, Tamara Cherry, on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I just love this next story. Founded on the CTV National News website. It is absolutely fantastic. So there is a couple in Halifax that has been putting up various flags on their front step to show their love for history. You may not be surprised to hear that this couple that lives in this home are a couple of historians, a couple of local historians. And I can only imagine the conversations that this has sparked. One half of that couple is joining us now. Dan Conlin is on the line from Halifax. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure, Tamara. Pleasure to talk flags, always. Oh, I love it. Who, who, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a pleasure to talk flags. This may be a first for me. And I am, it is my pleasure to talk flags with you. So you and your wife, Patricia, put up a different flag outside your home every day. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, we do. We got a little, well, it's actually a growing library of flags, so we chose it to choose an interesting event, an anniversary every day, and we pick a, a flag, and then we write a little card about it, and we put it on, uh, right below the flag, and uh, then later on post a little essay on Facebook about the flag of the day. So what do you, what, what's flying, flying outside of your home today? Uh, let's see. Uh, to uh, oh, we had quite. A, we always have a an evening debate about it. Um, and uh, yesterday was Nelson Mandela Day. Uh, okay. And um, uh, today I hooked up the flag. Um, uh, it's. Um, you can't keep track of all the flags. You just got too many of them. That's totally fine. Yeah. So yesterday uh, was national. Na- was Nelson Mandela Day? You flew. Yeah, what, a, which a fl- so which flag yesterday. were you flying yesterday? Well, the, the South African flag. It's uh very bold, Y-shaped, um, black, green, and red flag. And uh, um, I've, got, I've now got about 76 flags. <laughs> and oh uh, so goodness. we try to cover, you know, kind of major countries in different parts of the continent. And uh, yesterday was Nelson Mandela's birthday. It's also kind of a, uh, the UN uh, designated as Nelson Mandela Day to try to think about, uh, you know, all the things he did to peacefully um, seek justice and resolve, you know, um, democracy issues in Southern Africa. And so uh, so that was, was a kind of a fun one to um to fly so when did you and Patricia come up with this idea? When did you start doing this? Well, um, um, uh, I've uh, been sort of flying flags on an off ad hoc basis for about 10 years. I used to work at a maritime museum in Halifax, and maritime museums love their flags. Um, mm-hmm. But really, it was two years ago when the COVID lockdown started. Um, we made a decision uh, that uh, we would fly a different flag every day. And, uh, and we, uh, we kind of um, we noticed that uh, dur- during the whole COVID isolation period, a lot of people were taking daily walks walks in their neighborhood mm-hmm. and people were being encouraged to stay home or stay close to home. And uh, so we thought, well, you'll, we'll do something for the neighborhood and put up a flag with a little note every day. And, uh, and it really quickly caught on in our neighborhood. People would sort of make, make our street a little the destination for their daily health stroll. And, uh, mm-hmm. and um, it's, uh, we can, can see that kind of continue. The dog walkers will cross the street to check out the flag of the day. And I'll see people in the grocery store and they'll say, hey, what are you doing today? And uh, what's, what's the flag on your poll and uh, um, and it's been a it's a tremendous pleasure in the morning we hear um, school kids on their way to uh, we have a middle school near our place and they'll stop and you'll hear the kids sort of reading out the the uh, the, the card to the and then debating you know, some of the the names and the words and uh, um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a real pleasure oh I just I am smiling from ear to ear right now listening to the story I just think it's it's such a nice thing it's such a nice contribution to your community and I imagine that must must make you smile from ear to ear seeing those those little kids outside your door did you already have this this big collection of flags when you started this uh, in the beginning of the pandemic or have you kind of been getting them as, you know as you have different ideas of what you'd like to display well, um, yeah, do we? Do I think when the pandemic was started, we had about maybe thirty flags. That's <laughs> still a lot of flags. That is yeah. enough to start this. Yeah. But you know, um, uh, every every evening we look at the possible events, and it's always you know uh, uh, um, we tend to create wish lists lists for mm-hmm. flags. You know, um, uh, you know, don't don't have a flag for Zambia yet. I gotta get that one so we can do Zambian Independence Day, and um, and so we kind of uh, we just kind of. Uh, 
bought them in batches here and there. And then sometimes we get requests from people, um, and uh, so um, we'll add a add a flag. And uh, Halifax is spoiled with flag stores because we're kind of a port city. <laughs> There's not one but really? two big flag stores. Really, I was going to ask where you get yeah. your flags. You buy you buy lots of them locally. Yeah, we buy almost all of them locally. Uh, between the two all service flag stores in Halifax, the flag shop, the flags uh, uh, flag emporium. There's also an army surplus store in our neighborhood that has dozens and dozens of flags. So it's re- easily for us easy for us to kind of buy them locally. And then we we've also have people who give us flags. Um, uh, the um, uh, uh, I have a friend who lives part of the year in Malta, and he said, "Oh, you really need a Maltese flag." So when he arrived after COVID, he brought us a beautiful hand stitched cotton flag from Malta. So now I can do some historical things for Malta. And, um, I, and I, uh, I imagine yeah. you must be learning as you as you do this. You must be learning so many things about all these different places. Yeah, it's often an interesting discovery. My wife and I share the research. Actually, Patricia, just and my wife, does most of the research, and we'll troll around for kind of interesting people. You know, we 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 sort of connect with a lot of artists and writers and their birthdays, uh, and uh, also you know the kind of the the quirkier things. Like we did uh, the British flag uh, two years ago for Zazzle's the human cannonball, the woman who invented the idea of a human cannonball app. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so we uh, put a flag up for the date of her first performance. So. So uh, they're kind of, you know, we do big events, you know, important political events or famous battles, but we also do the kind of the quirky, fun ones. And those are often the most rewarding. And you don't always use official flags, do you? Well, we've invented some of we, we created some of our own. Uh, I am, uh, Patricia and I, we stitched together a flag for International Women's Day. And uh, mm. we um, uh, we did our own flag for the Hudson's Bay Company, a copy of the historic one they used. And I think our, the one we liked the most was we made our own Pi Day flag. And not everyone Ooh. knows, but March March the 14th is uh, is International Pi Day. Um, it's actually UN. What did you have Day. on your flag? Well, so we had a big picture of a pie, <laughs> a picture of a pie with a slice <laughs> out of it, and then the uh, the mathematical symbol for pie, and then 3.14, which is, you know, the uh, yep. the, the pie, yep. value for pie, and it's celebrated every day on March the 14th, so wow. <laughs> we made our own pie. Oh, flag. I love and that. That's, uh, that was a kind of a fun one to do. Uh, um, you, know, you know, part of the part of the attraction <laughs> is the history, but it's also, flags are beautiful. The shapes and the colors are really neat, and it's uh, wonderful to invent and share that. It really is beautiful. And, you know, I'm looking at your Facebook page right now and anybody wanting to check out Dan's uh, uh, flags, just just search Dan Conlon on Facebook. It was the first head that came up for me. And you've got this picture of the South African flag that that you flew yesterday. And it's just it's just beautiful. And I just think that this is such a beautiful idea. And what a wonderful way to connect with your neighbors. Um, Dan, we're running out of time. We're coming up to the end of the show. So I want to thank you and your wife, Patricia, for bringing us this joyous segment today. And I hope you have a great day. I'm going to I'm going to have to take a look tomorrow to see what you're what you're flying then and maybe the day after that and all the days to come. So thanks. Uh, my, my pleasure. As uh, Sheldon Cooper says, uh, as our flags teach us, uh, go where the wind blows you. Love it. Thanks so much, Dan. Dan Conlin from Halifax. Uh, that was a delightful segment. And this was uh, a delightful show. I, I don't want to say every segment was delightful. There were some serious topics that we discussed, but happy as always to be here filling in for Evan Solomon, who I erroneously said earlier was on vacation. I don't know, maybe he feels like he's on vacation when he is filling in for Lisa Laflamme on the national desk. Uh, Maybe not, but I'm sure he's having fun all the same. I will be back in this chair tomorrow. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. 